In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I welcome you to the First Baptist Church of Oregon City Worship Podcast. Out of a love for our neighbor and a desire to protect the most vulnerable among us from this awful virus that's ravaging our state, our nation, and our world, we have chosen to suspend in-person worship services for the time being. But in a way that we don't fully understand, When God's people gather for worship, whether it is in person, whether it is via podcast, whether it is in Oregon City or somewhere in Montana or in Florida or in Africa or Asia, when God's people gather for worship, the spirit and the living presence of Christ is there. And we are all worshiping together even though we are very distant. And it's always been that way. And it will always be that way until Christ returns to earth to establish his eternal kingdom and we will worship with him face to face and we won't have to worry about viruses or diseases or death. But until then, in this imperfect world, we do the best we can. We realize that we are, as we listen to this, as we worship together, we are worshiping in the very presence of the resurrected Christ. And we hope that you are experiencing that presence of Christ right now. Um, We are in the midst of our World Mission Offering Month. The World Mission Offering is a vital offering that we take every October. Uh, The American Baptist missionaries that are in the field are responsible for raising their own support. They are to contact churches, they are to contact individuals, to help them uh, financially uh, be able to be in the field. And that doesn't just include living expenses, that includes expenses for supplies, that includes expenses for travel, that includes expenses for Um, helping people in the places that they're serving. And sometimes, unfortunately, those appeals for financial help come up a little short. And that's where the World Mission Offering comes in. The World Mission Offering provides missionaries in the field with the financial safety net they need to focus their time on ministry and less time on fundraising if they have those gaps in their budget. And so our church participates in this every year because we believe that the word of God has to go out from God's church. It goes out from our church of First Baptist of Oregon City into our neighborhood, into our communities, and it goes out all around the world. A few weeks ago, we got to hear from Uh, the Borquists, which are our two missionaries that we support. And they told us about the work that they are doing in the Asia-Pacific region. And it's just remarkable what they're doing. But they wouldn't be able to do it without our support. Our goal for the World Mission Offering for our church is $750. And as of the last time we checked, we are about one-third of the way there, and we are about half, a little over halfway through the month of October. And so if you are a part of our church and you're listening to this and you would like to help, you would like to donate, uh, you can mail a check to our church address, Uh, our church mailing address, which is on the website, onebaptistchurch.org. You can also go to the International Ministries page if you're not part of our church and you're listening to this. You can go to the International Ministries website, uh, which I don't know, but you can Google it. um, And there is a link there that you can donate to the World Mission Offering as well. 
we do ask that if you're part of our church body, that you would uh, send your check in to us. That way we're able to keep track as to how close we are to that goal. But even if you can't financially support right now, pray for our missionaries. Pray for the people who have left their homes and, f- and followed God's call into the mission field. And far away from home, they're dealing with the same things that we are here at home when it comes to COVID, when it comes to uh, a lot of the issues that we've faced over the past several months. So keep them in your prayers, whether you can or can't give, because whether it's financially or through prayer, we absolutely support and love our missionaries in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. in prayer. Dear Father, you are the God who yearns and waits for us. We are strange conundrums of faithfulness and fickleness. We cleave to you in all the ways that we are able. We count on you and intend our lives to be lived for you. And then we find ourselves among your people who are always seeking elsewhere and otherwise. So we give thanks that you are the God who yearns and waits for us, that our connection to you is always from your side, and that it is because of your goodness that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything in creation can separate us from you. We give you thanks for your faithfulness, so much more durable than ours. Lord, I pray for those in our congregation who are not feeling well and for those who are undergoing chemotherapy treatments. Be with them, Father, and give them comfort during their time of trial. If pain is involved, please erase it. Let them feel your love for them and let them know that you are, that you will never leave them or forsake them. Be with those who are having financial difficulties because they lost their job or they can't earn enough from their business 
because of the COVID crisis. I pray thee lift up that need to you and partner with you for a solution. For you are the one who knows all the details and already have a new plan for them. Be with those who are having relationship problems, possibly with a family member or possibly someone they work with. Help us to love those who are difficult and not to show anger. You are the one who can bring peace into our lives. I lift up the prayer requests of the young church. They are living in a very mixed up world. School is being done virtually and they have many questions about what will be available for them in the future. My prayer is that they will rely upon your graciousness and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Be with Melissa, Ashley, and Sherry as they minister to them through social media. May the love of Jesus be shown to each person. This month is World Mission Offering. We pray for our missionaries around the world as they proclaim the good news of the gospel to those who have never heard it. Bless the Borquists and their network as they share the love of Jesus in Asia. Be with all the missionaries that are sponsored by the American Baptists. Help us to support their mission work by our offerings and our prayers. I pray for the community that our church is located in. I pray for all the people who have needs and I pray that our church will be a light in the dark, and that light, Jesus' love, will shine. You have said, no matter how, you have said that no matter how small the gesture, you have done it unto me. Let the love of Jesus flow from our hearts. I also pray for all the nurses, doctors, and medical research personnel. The nurses and doctors who treat the patients who are sick with COVID-19 would be protected from the disease. I pray that the researchers will work diligently to formulate a workable vaccine that will benefit fit people so the pandemic will come to an end. Give each of the medical personnel the knowledge to be able to take care of each patient the best that they can. Be with our pastor today as he concludes his series on Romans chapter 8, Anoint him with the Holy Spirit as he brings us the message today. May all who hear this podcast be blessed by it. In your holy name, amen. Word of the Lord. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. Abraham picked up a knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. The Lord told Moses, when you arrive back in Egypt, go to Pharaoh and perform all the miracles I have empowered you to do. But I will harden his heart so he will refuse to let the people go. Then you will tell him, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. I commanded you, let my son go so he can worship me. When Israel was a child, I loved him and I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called him, the farther he moved from me, offering sacrifices to the images of Baal and burning incense to idols. I myself taught Israel how to walk leading him along by the hand. But he doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. 
I lifted the yoke from his neck, and I myself stooped to feed him. Come back, we beg you, O God of heaven's armies. Look down from heaven and see our plight. Take care of this grapevine that you yourself have planted, this son you have raised for yourself. While they were in Bethlehem, the time came for Mary's baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no logic available for them. Eight days later, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from the heavens said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance, and through the sun he created the universe. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. We believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our scripture for the morning comes to us from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. And if you've, if you've been paying attention over the past few weeks, we have been reading Romans in reverse, or at least chapter 8 anyway, uh, because we started at the very end passage and then have worked our way backwards through the, the whole chapter. And if, if you had to ask me, why did we do it that way? I don't know. Uh, it was just the way that uh, I, I was led, that it came to me. And so it's still the Word of God, uh, and it's still living and active in our lives. And, and as uh, the prophet Isaiah tells us, it never returns to us empty. That's good news. Uh, but here is Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. And today I will be reading from the New Living Translation. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. 
So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want you to imagine that you are hiking on one of Oregon's magnificent mountain hiking trails. Um, My wife Katie is probably rolling her eyes as I say this uh, because we have done a couple of those trails and I think I have enjoyed it much more than she has. But let's say that you're the type of person who enjoys uh, mountainous hiking trails and you've you've hiked and yeah, it's difficult and, and it's not easy, but by the time you get to the top, you have a spectacular view. And there are so many of these trails. Uh, there's, there's one called Angel's Rest where you get to the top and you have spectacular views of the Columbia River Gorge. And uh, there is Zigzag Mountain uh, and the Burnt Lake Trail where you get to see a lake uh, that reflects Mount Hood, pr- provided it's not too cloudy. Um, And you have the the Timberline Trail on Mount Hood, uh, where you can hike all the way around Mount Hood, not in one day, uh, but but you can see some really incredible views from up there. And so you've gone to all of this effort, and you've worked all day to get to the top, and you get to see that spectacular view, and it's unblemished, and it's beautiful, and just breaks your heart. And it's, it, you've, you have really just put the work in to see that spectacular view. Now imagine a year or two later, you, you want to show somebody uh, that same spectacular view. And so you're, you're going up with this person. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a, a loved one. Maybe it's a, a child. Um, and so you, you do the same hike. You, you, you put in all of the effort to get to the top of this, and you look out, and somebody has put up billboards all through the valley. And they have completely blemished the view. This is kind of what we see in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 is is we have 
two different views on creation in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And, and it's a, a creation where everything is as it should be. And God declares everything very good. And God blesses it all, and he puts humanity in charge of stewarding creation and, uh, and naming and caring, naming animals and naming plants and caring for creation and looking after each other. Uh, he creates, in chapter 2, uh, he has created Adam, and he sees that Adam is lonely, and so he creates Eve so that they can share the burden of the work together. Well, then in chapter 3, it all goes wrong, and that pristine image of God's creation is, is broken by sin. And when we see the destruction that sin has caused, we see how this brokenness mars and, and smudges the goodness of God's creation. Because now, Everything is subject to decay and to death and to ruin. And when we look at this passage that Paul has laid out for us in Romans chapter 8, we see one of the, the most rich theological passages in the entirety of Scripture, because it acknowledges this state that we are in, but it also acknowledges what Christ has done. When we are faced with the decay of the world, sometimes people want to write off the whole thing. When we see the destruction and the, the chaos and the, the evil that is apparent and present and active in our world, we sometimes want to write off the whole world as evil. And when we read this passage, we are sometimes tempted to read this battle between the, this this back and forth that Paul does with flesh and spirit, and we're tempted to say that anything material is bad because it's corrupted, it's decayed, it's flesh, and anything spirit is good because it's of God, it's of Christ. And when we do that, we are misunderstanding Scripture plain and simple, because we can't ever write off God's creation. God has made it. God has blessed it. God has called it good. And when we read this word flesh and we hear uh, about the sinful nature, it isn't about the things themselves being evil, just like Whatever fruit it was that the, the serpent had tempted Eve with, whether it was an apple, as a lot of Renaissance painting depicts it, uh, or a pomegranate, uh, which is what some people uh, think it is. Um, if you have ever tried to eat a pomegranate, uh, you, you, the likelihood of it being a pomegranate goes down because those things are bloody hard to open and the juice goes everywhere and it looks like you accidentally nicked your, your finger in the kitchen uh, a lot worse than you thought it did. So we'll say it was fruit and, and leave that to your imagination. The fruit that Eve ate was not in and of itself evil. It was the fact that she was told not to eat it. Adam and Eve were told not to eat that particular piece of fruit. This isn't Snow White. The fruit's not poisoned. It was just out of bounds. And there's a difference between something being evil and being used for evil purposes. 
I can use a hammer to build a house for somebody who doesn't have a home, or I can use a hammer to beat somebody over the head, and that's a crime. That's bad. Don't, don't hit people in the head with hammers if you don't get anything else this morning. And so when we see the natural, physical world around us, it's not evil. But it can be used for evil purposes. Our desire to love and be loved is not evil, but it can be corrupted. Our desire to do good things for people seems good, but when we're doing them at the expense of of other people, that's bad. Our desire for, for sex is not evil, but when we do it outside the bounds of a covenantal marriage, that's bad. And so when we talk about the sinful nature, we can't condemn, and, and some, some biblical translations will use the word flesh. Uh, they'll talk about the flesh versus the spirit. And when we talk about the sinful nature, it's just that. It is misusing things that God meant as good and using them for evil. It's putting up billboards in a beautiful river valley. And as we read this Romans passage, Paul has led up to this by, by, by issuing a, uh, a three-chapter argument and, and building this three-chapter case of, you know, chapters five, six, and seven, build the case of what exactly is going on behind the scenes in our salvation. And then chapter 8 is this breathtaking view where we acknowledge finally the victory of Christ. Because the law couldn't save us. The law could only be a standard by which we would fail. It couldn't save us. The law wasn't evil, but it just exposed the fact that we could never fulfill it. We are not evil, we're broken, and so we naturally do not gravitate towards doing things in an unbroken way. I, I think all you, all you kind of have to do is, is look around at... Uh, a lot of situations in, in the world presently and the world past and see that there are people who take advantage of other people and there are people who have enslaved other people and there are people who have oppressed other people and by doing this, it has broken and further ingrained a deep-seated brokenness in our society and in our world And everything seems kind of bleak if you go back and read chapter 7. But then there's chapter 8. And just like things may seem a little bleak when you have hiked all day up a mountain and you can't see the top and you can't see the view and you wonder how much farther, but then you get to that point where you can see out. And it's just breathtaking because what we find out is that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That through Jesus, this death and decay and the the cycle of evil and retribution and violence that is, is seated in the world, that, that we have been complicit with, that we have perpetuated, whether knowingly or unknowingly, is broken for us. We couldn't do it. The law couldn't do it. But Jesus could do it. And he did do it. But it cost him. Because 
in his body, Christ took the sin of the world, the evil of the world, the death of the world, all of the destruction that we perpetuate on each other, all of the violence that we inflict on people, he took it upon himself. All of the violence that we see in, in the Old Testament, all of the hatred that we see in human history, all of that Christ took and crucified it in his own body on the cross. And he rose again claiming victory over that sin and death. God raised Jesus from the dead and showed that there was now no longer any power that could defeat Christ. God had finally once again become king of his world and Jesus was his Lord who did it. God raised Jesus from the dead and enthroned him in victory. And now we who are in Christ, those of us who say Jesus is Lord, are in Christ, and we share in this victory. This is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is Lord, that the powers of sin and death and all of the agencies and, and uh, powers in this world who think they're in charge are not, and that we are serving the one true king who is king now and is coming to reign fully later. It is through Christ that we have our victory. And through Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't mean that we, we are in this situation like Looney Tunes, where the angel is sitting on one shoulder and the devil is sitting on the other shoulder and uh, the angel is whispering good things for us to do in our ear, like, um, you know, like, oh, you, you should, you, you know, there's a, there's a man over on the corner and he has a sign that says needs food. You should take him a sandwich where there's like a devil on the other shoulder. It says there's a man sitting on the corner, squirt him with ketchup. Um, like, that's, that's not the situation that's going on here. It's so much better. Because the Holy Spirit isn't just sitting on our shoulder telling us what to do. The Holy Spirit isn't just some sort of nebulous idea that shows up in mysterious ways in our world every now and then. The Holy Spirit animates us. It fills us. The Holy Spirit is the air that followers of Jesus breathe. It is the life that enables us to live the life of Christ. It is the, the batteries in the Energizer bunny. It is the, um, it's, there's no other way that I can put it, but it is life. The Holy Spirit, if we don't realize that it's the Holy Spirit that's enabling us to live out the ways of Jesus every day, then we're going to keep going back to this sinful nature over and over and over again. And there are people who claim Jesus, but who have not yet allowed the Holy Spirit to be the animating force in their life. And biblical commentators have, who, have, who have written about this passage have pointed to the, the thought that Paul was dealing with this in the Roman church, that there were people who were claiming Christ but not living the ways of Christ. There were people who were claiming to be followers of Jesus, but they were still very much participating in the Roman ways, which almost every Roman way was tied into one of their, the worship of one of their pagan gods. And so as 
these followers of Jesus in Rome were struggling to, to understand what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, some of them had gone back to their sinful nature. And we still see that, sadly, playing out today. Because sadly, there are followers of Jesus who don't look very much like Jesus. There are people who claim Christ but also hate their neighbor. There are people who claim Christ but also are avid proponents of violence in the world. There are people who claim Christ but they're just nasty, boorish people to be around. And I'll admit, I've got my days. Um, I would say like, oh, ask Katie about that. Please don't ask Katie about that. I've got my days where, where Christ shines through brighter. But I've also got my days where I struggle with giving my whole lungs to be filled with the breath of the Holy Spirit. And that's okay as long as we keep going back to the Spirit and saying, I want more of you, Holy Spirit. Because Christ has brought us the victory over sin and death, but the Spirit brings that life into us every day as a promise that, yes, you can live this life out, but also as a promise that someday our struggle against the sinful nature will be put away when Christ returns. The sinful nature brings death, and you don't have to look too far to see that. You don't have to look too far to see people who have made bad choices, regrettable choices, and it's brought ruin and chaos into their life. But this is the good news of the gospel, is that the Spirit brings life. There is no death that the life of the Spirit cannot overcome. The Spirit brings to us that victory of Christ. And then it does one magnificent thing, is that it puts us in a family. And it doesn't just put us in any family. It puts us straight into the family of God, where Jesus is not just our Lord, but he's our brother. In Roman times, in, in the times that Paul was, was writing this, to be the firstborn son was a huge deal, especially the more powerful your family was. Because as the firstborn son, the responsibility, the power, the, the money of the family would someday go to the firstborn son. Um, it's why if you look at the English royal family. It's why there was, it was such a big scandal when Prince Charles and Princess Diana divorced. It was why it was such a, a big scandal while Prince William, uh, Charles and Diana's son, was a fine, upstanding uh, example of what a prince should be, and Prince Harry was running around Vegas doing who knows what, because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And and so the firstborn son was to receive all of glory, and Jesus receives all of the glory from the Father by being raised from the dead. But instead of hoarding it for himself, he invites us into it. He invites us into the family. Jesus just keeps making the table bigger and bigger and bigger for us because that's what Jesus does is he makes more seats at the table. He invites us 
to family dinners. He invites us to the love of the family. It doesn't come easy. Being part of the family, being, having the victory of Christ in us through the Holy Spirit doesn't always mean that we have the easiest of lives. In fact, it explicitly says in the last verse, if we are to share his glory, we also must share his suffering. And if we are to be a part of the family called by Jesus, then we must be willing to share in the suffering of Christ, which was for the sake of the world. Our lives must be self-sacrificing lives that are outward-facing to love people with this love that took hold of us and is animated by this spirit that was given to us in Christ. Because that's the gospel that Jesus is Lord and we have this victory breathed into us every day if we'll, if we'll just make some room for it. My grandmother, my mom's mom, was a very prayerful woman. Uh, you would go into her, her house and would not be able to tell if she was praying or asleep. It was about 50-50. And, and so I remember I went into her, her house for the last time when she was alive in, in October of 2003. And she'd had struggles with congestive heart failure. And by Thanksgiving of 2003, she was with our Lord. And my grandma read scripture broadly, and she, she studied scripture, and she uh, taught me how to study scripture. And so I, I had gone to see my grandma. I was going to go. I was home for the weekend. I was going to go back to college uh, that afternoon. I was a sophomore. It was a Sunday afternoon, and um, I wanted to get there before it was too late so I could finish the homework I'd procrastinated. And so I went into her house, and I remember I went in a, in a little bit of a hurry. But I sat, and I talked with her. And, and my grandmother knew the scriptures, Remember this. And as I, I finally knew, you know, I, it was time to leave. I needed to go. She was getting tired, and I needed to get out the door. I told her I loved her, and I stood up to say goodbye. And she said, remember, you're a child of the king. And my grandmother knew what that meant for me. My grandmother meant that being a child of the king was enough to raise the head of the lowliest beggar, as C.S. Lewis wrote, and it's enough to humble the proudest king. She knew that it, it meant me waking up every morning and choosing Jesus, but also going back to Jesus every day that I failed. She knew that it meant a seat at the table for me, but she also knew that it, it meant suffering for the world that God so loved. And so when we think about being people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, having been redeemed by the victory of Christ, remember, we are children of the King.
We have come now to the Lord's table. It is that ever-expanding table that Jesus welcomes us to. It is the table that Jesus set for his disciples on the night he was betrayed. It is the table that Jesus sets before us now, and the table that Jesus will set before us when he returns to be King and Lord once and for all. If you would like to join us for the Lord's table uh, via our Zoom coffee hour, and if you are listening to this before 11.30 a.m. Pacific time on October 18th, 2020, you can email baptist.church at comcast.net and we will send you the, uh, the link to get into our Zoom and you can join us for communion. Uh, you will need to provide your own uh, juice and carbohydrate of some kind. It can be bread and grape juice, Oreo cookies and milk, donuts and coffee, you know, whatever you've got lying around. But if you are not able to join us, we invite you to join with us now at the table of the Lord. The table of bread is now to be made ready. It is the table of company with Jesus and all who love him. It is the table of sharing with the poor of the world with whom Jesus identified himself. It is the table of communion with the earth in which Christ became incarnate. So come to this table, you who have much faith and you who would like to have more. You who have been here often and you who have not been for a long time, you who have tried to follow Jesus, and you who have failed, come, it is Christ who invites us to meet him here. In this we proclaim to you a mystery. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ is coming again. Let us pray. Loving God, Through your goodness, we have this bread and cup to offer, which has come forth from the earth and human hands have made. May we know your presence in the sharing so that we may know your touch and presence in all things. We celebrate the life that Jesus has shared among his community through the centuries and shares with us now. Made one in Christ and one with each other, We offer these gifts and with them ourselves a single living act of praise. Amen. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And looking back at what Christ did for us on the cross, take and eat.
In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. And looking back at the victory that Christ won on the cross, and looking forward to drinking this cup when Christ returns, take and drink. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us the gifts of hope, faith, and love, and that we may obtain what you promise. Make us love what you command. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. We thank you for joining us today for worship. We thank you for singing with us, praying with us, for hearing God's word proclaimed with us. Because we do these things as the people of God so that we can live out the hope of Christ in this world. If you are feeling hopeless today and you need somebody to be the presence of Christ to you, don't hesitate to call the church, to email the church. Our website is onebaptistchurch.org. That's the number one, Baptist, B-A-P-T-I-S-T, church, C-H-U-R-C-H, dot org, O-R-G. Get in touch with us, and we'll be glad to, to reach out to you in the name of Jesus. I'd like to thank Melissa Mellinger, our Director of Worship and Youth, for leading us in music this morning. I'd like to thank Jim Leatherman, our church moderator, for leading us in prayer. I'd like to thank Jeannie Vance for the prelude, which was Spirit of God, Descend Upon My Heart. I'd like to thank Katie Witham for leading the First Baptist Church readers. And I'd like to thank Gary and Doreen Hunley, our audio engineers, for making everything sound good. And remember, love God. Love your neighbor, wear your mask, and wash your hands.